Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, the cows upon us. Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network, or should I say via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano and I'm hosting today's program. So if you're listening to this in Fargaminda, Burke, Udnadatta, Brisbane, Canberra, Adelaide, Sejuna, Perth, Broome, Darwin, Hobart, Launceston. What about Wookaraka? Wookaraka? What about Wookaraka? Wookaraka? Well, if there's a community radio station at Wookaraka and you don't listen to the Anarchist World this week, I suggest you organise to become a member of the Community Radio Network and listen to it. It's very simple. So even Wookaraka or things are crook in Talarook. Okay. So Juna, I said that one. Yes, they're everywhere. Everywhere there are people with anarchist sympathies. I won't call them anarchists who are sympathetic to the anarchist causes everywhere. And what is anarchism all about? Anarchos without rulers, a society without rulers, not without rules. And how do you have a society without rulers? What are the institutional structures you need to create? You need to create institutional structures which incorporate everybody in the decision-making processes and direct democracy is one mechanism, not the only one, one mechanism, and you need to hold wealth in common. Yes, I said the horrible word, wealth in common. I should have my mouth washed out with soap and water. Obviously, wealth should belong to the investment classes and the rest of you scum should be working or collecting Social Security benefits. Well, that's what they think, isn't it? Let's start off with Killing Medicare Softly. Remember that famous song, I think from the 80s, early 80s, late 70s, Killing Me Softly? Well, Killing Medicare Softly. Now, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, social reform since the Second World War, which was introduced by the Whitlam Labor government in 1973, was the introduction of what was then termed Medibank, which is now termed Medicare, which is a universal health care system that ensures that all Australians, irrespective of who they are, where they live, what they earn, have access, three access to basic health care. Simple concept. Medicare. Now, I was around in those days. Yes, you wouldn't believe it. I was around a young man in those days. And I remember all the medical associations, all the business lobbies, all the people in the media 
most of the political parties telling us how this would be the end of the known universe, the end of the world, having universal health insurance, ensuring that everybody had access to health care. It would ruin us, bankrupt the nation. And those of you who remember Mr Malcolm Fraser fondly, and I don't remember him fondly, but those of you who remember him fondly, don't forget that he attempted to destroy Medibank slash Medicare when he took over as Prime Minister after the dismissal of the duly elected Whitlam Labor government. And since then, various Conservative health ministers and various Labor Party ministers have been doing all they can to actually destroy Medicare because it does cost a little bit of money. It does cost a little bit of money to actually look after the basic health care needs of all Australians. But over the last three years, we've seen a concerted effort to finally dismember and cremate what remains of the universal health care system in this country. And this has occurred in a number of ways because governments understand that the fact that Australians have access diminishing access, let's not forget that, diminishing access to three basic health care, you know, is a popular thing. It's popular amongst most of the community. So if you can't kill it outright because you don't have public support to kill it outright, the way you kill it is by starving it. You starve it to death. If any of you have ever followed a hunger strike... It takes a long time to starve something to death. And the way Medicare has been starved to death is very simple. One, the amount of money which the doctor receives as a result of the consultation by the government does not keep up with increasing costs to run a practice, but more importantly, not even with inflation. So over the last 25 years, we've seen successive governments diminishing the return to the medical practitioner for their efforts. And what this means is that what they are trying to do is stop clinics' bulk billing by making bulk billing unprofitable. And as I said, public enemy number one in the Australia in 2015 has become the bulk billing doctor. Evil incarnate. Legislation was recently introduced which will all... uh, Well, it's actually not legislation. It's actually determinations which are made by the health minister, federal health minister, recently introduced, which will freeze the Medicare rebate for four years. That's right. We'll freeze the Medicare rebate to the doctor for four years. And that will ensure that especially among general practitioners, that more and more general practitioners will be forced to stop bulk billing because they can't make the income to run a profitable practice. So they will be so what we're doing is we're strangling slowly, asphyxiating slowly 
those doctors who continue to bulk bill to ensure at the end of that four-year period they're all dead, starved to death, and there'll be no more bulk billing. Now, unfortunately for the government, many medical practices continue to bulk bill. So the government has another plan to stop them to bulk billing. The next plan is very simple. You change the item numbers so that medical practices which use certain item numbers to provide certain services, those item numbers will be removed from the Medicare Medicare list. And what that means is that services which are now free, you'll have to pay for, full price. Then you have the pharmaceutical benefits scheme we just saw in the last two or three days. The health minister announced that basic painkillers will be removed from the pharmaceutical health care system. Now, obviously, if you've got a job and you need some painkillers, you can pay for them. But what's going to happen now is all those people on Social Security benefits, all those people with health care cards who have relied on subsidised painkillers in order to go about their lives will now have to pay full cost for them. And the list goes on and on. Then you've got countless investigations into the Medicare sector and we saw the Health Minister, and again this was an overtly political act, get up and talk about the, I think it was about 20 doctors out of 30, 20 general practitioners out of 30,000, I think it's 0.002% or something, who have been asked to pay back, I think it's $4 million dollars because of overcharging or inappropriate billing, as if this was a huge front-page issue. And again, this is another way you destroy the credibility of bulk billing and the Medicare system. You attack the people who provide the service. You change the nature of the system by changing the item numbers. You strangle, economically strangle the practices by... Uh, ensuring that uh, you know there's not enough money coming in to meet expenses so people are forced to charge upfront fees. For example, I think currently, and I could be wrong, I could be wrong, I think currently the rebate to a doctor for a standard general practitioner consultation for Medicare is $34. And most practices that are now charging fees will charge anywhere between $75 and $87.50 for a general practice consultation, which means that if you go and see a general practitioner, you're about $45 out of pocket. And if you've got two kids going, that means you're $90 out of pocket. And if you've got a few prescriptions going on top of that, there's another $20 or $30 or $40 out of pocket. So you're looking at a day's wages if you're on, you know, on, a, on a basic wage. So... What this does is we think, wow, this saves money. But this doesn't save money because it doesn't save money because what it does is it forces people to delay accessing medical care. And then you'll get the stories, you know, the doctor shoppers and all these people who unnecessarily go to doctors. Again, a very small percentage, especially of general practitioner consultations. And the list goes on and on and on. And on 
and on. So you kill Medicare softly. You make it economically unviable. You create doubts in the uh, minds of the community about the people who are bulk billing. And uh, hey, presto, before you know it, we're back to pre-1973. You've got a charge system, you know? So people go flock to their local accident emergency department to get free health care, blocking those departments. So it's fake savings, totally fake savings. Medicare has been one of the most efficient mechanisms of keeping medical costs down. Because when you've got bulk billing practices and you've got practices that charge upfront fees, the amount of up upfront fees that are charged to a large degree are determined by the number of bulk billing clinics. If you've got a large number of bulk billing clinics, well, the large, well, the upcharge fees that are charged are quite modest. But if you've got no bulk billing uh, clinics in an area, the fee that is charged can be quite exorbitant in terms of uh, a people, person's income. So what we'll see is an escalation of healthcare costs in the non-hospital healthcare costs, an escalation, because there'll be no downward pressure on the fees and charges which are charged by private practices if there are no private bulk billing practices because there's no inhibition on their fees, a little bit like the private banking sector. We've seen the major banks all charge, all, you know, post record billion dollar profits, seven billion, eight billion, nine billion, blah blah blah. And this has occurred to a large degree because of the privatization of the Commonwealth Bank. While the Commonwealth Bank Bank was in public hands, in a mixed economy, it put downward pressure on prices. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. So it's a it's it's an ideologically driven attack. Medicare has kept prices down. It's saved the community money. It's saved the individual's money. It's provided a basic access to health care for most Australians. It's not perfect. Obviously, a lot of problems with it. Most of them government-engineered in order to close it down. But the important thing is that if you don't stand up for it, you will find in three to four years' time, especially if the Turnbull government is re-elected, at the election next year, you will find that Medicare will cease to exist as an entity in this country, except for maybe those people on Social Security benefits with health care cards. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano, I'm hosting today's program. Look, I'd like to thank all those people, the dozen or so people who turned up at uh, Murchison Cemetery on Sunday the 1st of November. Uh, to pay our respects to Francesco Fantine, uh, Italian anarchist living in Australia for 20 years who was murdered at Camp Love Day in South Australia in 1942. So it was good to see you there. Hopefully we'll get a few more people next year. This has become one of the uh, popular events on the Anarchist Institute calendar. We have a lot of events which we organise for people because what we are trying to do is create an alternative culture. It's not just about economics. It's not just about money. It's about creating an alternative culture. It's about allowing people to become involved in activity. It's about assisting people to become 
involved. I mean, we live in an age of distraction, an age of spectacle. You know, if it's not the latest movie, the latest game, the latest internet, the latest YouTube, you know, the latest, you know, free festival, and the list goes on and on, we become distracted. We forget that it's only downward pressure, pressure from the people as a whole, which institutes political and social changes. That's what we have forgotten. We think that the media will do it for us. Obviously, the media is there for its shareholders. Let's get real. All right, let's move on. So thank you to all those people who uh, came to Murchison on uh, Sunday. Let's move on. GST, Goods and Services Tax. Now, those people who are regular listeners to the program will note that when Mr Howard introduced the GST, I think it was in 1999, and won the election, we actually campaigned quite vigorously against it because it's a... It is not a, a nice tax because its maximal impact is on those people who earn the least. Now, before I go into the GST, I'd just like to look at Australian society today because we do have classes. We're not a classless society. We do have classes. And as far as I'm concerned, there are four classes, maybe five, but four. First of all, you've got a small section of society you know, 1% or 2% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. They set the political, social and cultural agenda in this country on a daily basis. They're there. Then we have the investment class. Now, the investment class are basically the carriers. They carry that small section of society that owns the means of production. Distribute, exchange, ex- distribution, exchange and communication. They carry them, the investment class. These are Australians who through good luck, maybe through inheritance or maybe through tax lottery or maybe even through their own efforts because they've got a good paying job, have enough disposable income to take advantage of Australian laws which basically mean that the investors pay minimal taxation in this country. So I'm not talking about the superannuation contributions you make every week or every month or every year, which go to some nameless company, which is you know supposedly you know bulletproofing your your old age. I'm not talking about that garbage. I'm talking about people who've got disposable income to actually buy stocks and shares as investments and actually live or augment their income from the dividends from those stocks and shares. And people who've got enough you know, uh, disposable income to buy a second, a third or a fourth house and use this country's very generous negative gearing laws to uh, minimise their taxes. So you've got an investment class and that consists of about 15 to 20% of the population. And they're doing very well, exceptionally well, during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and corporatisation revolution because the laws in this country benefit them. The laws in this country are not created for the other two classes and that's the working class. Yes, they still exist. People who work to make a living, who also rely on debt, So you can actually work to make a living and be part of the investment class because most of your income comes from investment. 
or you can work to make a living and be part of the working class because you don't actually make any excess income to join the investment class. So basically you're meeting your everyday commitments, rent or mortgage, food, energy, holiday, healthcare, education, and the list goes on and on. So you meet your bills. Sometimes you need to borrow money. So about 50% of the population, or about 40% of the population belong to that that class. And then you've got the 33% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive, people on unemployment benefits, people on on, uh, old age uh, benefits, people on disability support pensions, people on single parents benefits. So you've got four distinct classes. And about 80% of Australians are either working class with no disposable income after they met their debts and people on Social Security benefits. Now, those people in the investment classes, there are those in the investment class are those who invest full-time and those who invest part-time. So if you're a, a, you've got a well-paying job, you've got the disposable income to invest. So you've really got nothing in common with those people whose every cent, every cent they earn goes to meeting their day-to-day bills. So the traditional classes, which can be based on professional professions or the type of work you do, no longer exist. You have some people in traditional trades who are doing so well that they become part of the investment class. And you've got many professionals who basically only make enough money to uh, pay their day-to-day needs. So it's wrong to think of class in the traditional 19th and 20th century way. So you think of it, as I said, once four types of classes, not actually based on the type of work you do, but the type of income you generate from that work and whether that income is enough for you to join the investment classes. Simple. So now that we've got 20% of Australians who are part of the investment class, you've got this huge resistance to change. This huge resistance to redistribution of wealth. This is a little bit like the ruling classes Praetorian Guard. This is their Praetorian Guard. These are the people who support the capitalist system, support it to a tilt, because they are the ones who benefit from it. Now, getting back to what I was saying before about the GST. Now, you see, you've got the GST, the Goods and Services Tax. Now, Mr Turnbull is in a difficult position, a very difficult position. He knows, he's been given advice as Prime Minister, that he will need to make major cuts to Social Security public education and public health if he doesn't change the tax mix. So instead of introducing legislation which would ensure that corporations that pay voluntary taxation or receive a tax refund, as Mr Murdoch continues to receive from the Australian government, $886 million in uh, 2013, nice if you can get it, you know, instead of 
putting their attention to them, nothing. Instead of looking at the investment classes, looking at removing negative gearing, look at removing um, stock market, actually being able to uh, offset your stock market losses uh, on on, on your uh, gains if you borrow money to invest in the stock market. Instead of looking at that, instead of looking at corporate welfare, instead of looking at superannuation and the benefits the rich receive or the investment classes the class receives from superannuation, we find ourselves in a situation where it's all too hard. It's all too difficult. They control the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication, especially communication. It's all too difficult. So why don't we increase the goods and services tax? Simple, isn't it? A consumption tax. So who pays that tax? Business doesn't pay goods and services tax. Did you know that? If you're a business, you claim your goods and services tax as a tax exemption. Did you know that? You claim it as a tax exemption. But if you need it to survive, you need food to survive, well, you can't claim that as a tax exemption. And if you extend the GST to health and education, the people it will affect most would be those on lowest income. It's a little bit like when you go to an automatic teller of another bank and you put in your little card, you take out 20 bucks, and the fee is $2. That's right. 10% fee to take out 20 bucks. You take out 20 bucks, they keep two, you get 18, figuratively. You take out, if you've got a lot of money in your card, you take out 800 bucks, still cost you two bucks, which is what? 0.04% of the transaction. So this is what's happening. So the GST has its major impact on those least able to afford it. But Mr Turnbull thinks that with the right amount of massaging in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, that there will be this huge cry, you know, that will allow the GST to be, increasing GST to be an acceptable part of the political, you know, uh, program in this country. And that's what it's about. It's easy, isn't it? You increase the GST. You put the impost on people on Social Security, and that's 40% of Australians who rely, 45% of Australians who are relying, you know, on uh, a wage to meet their everyday commitments. The investment class, well, they can get out of the GST. The ruling class, not a problem. They don't pay tax. Not a problem. They claim everything back, every cent of GST which is used in your business is claimed back. Now, those of you who are going to say, well, what can you do to reform the system? You can reform the system tomorrow. It's very simple. You can do two things with GST. You don't have to increase the rate. You can have a differential GST. What that means is that if you buy a luxury item, you pay 25% GST. End of story. You got the money to buy a Learjet. You got the money to buy a yacht. You got to the money to buy a Lamborghini. You got the money to buy, you know, a beautiful, you know, fifty thousand dollar ring. Well, you pay twenty five percent GST. If you don't like it, 
Don't buy it. End of story. And if you want to bring it in, you buy it overseas so you don't have to pay the GST. 25% GST as an import tax. Simple. So you've got a differential GST. A GST for normal things, a GST for luxury items. The other thing you can do, which was pointed out to me a few days ago, is very simple, is you can actually stop large businesses and corporations from claiming their GST as a tax exemption. Now, those of you who are worried about micro-business and small business, well, you can introduce legislation that says that if your turnover is a million dollars or less, you can claim your GST. If your turnover is more than a million dollars, every cent that you've paid as GST, you cannot reclaim. End of story. You don't have to increase the GST level. You don't have to extend it to education and health. All you do is you put the burden on those most able to afford it. End of story. Simple. But do we hear that? No. Because they think that people like you and me, they think we're idiots. They think we're too busy being distracted, betting on the Melbourne Cup, you know, watching YouTube, watching the latest crap on television, buying the latest game or hiring the latest game, going to the latest sport event, fighting amongst ourselves, shooting something up our arms, snorting something up our nose, drinking ourselves to death. That's what they think we're that's what they think we're capable of. And they don't think that we're going to do anything about it. We're going to moan and grow, but we're not going to organise, are we? We're not going to organise against it. Because we leave those decisions to the ruling classes. We leave those decisions to the political classes. We're not going to organise. Well, they're wrong. And that's why public interest before corporate interest was formed. Public interest before corporate interest has now over 300 members. We hope to be registered as a political party in early 2016 and we hope to actually have a number of candidates in a federal election. But that's not our main purpose. That's a peripheral purpose. Our main purpose is to create a climate, a cultural and social, economic and political climate which says, which will allow Australians to come together and say not one cent, not one cent to the private sector, not one cent to, pub, to private hospitals, not one cent to private schools, not one cent for corporate welfare. That's what it's about. That's what public interest before corporate interest is about. It's about ensuring the interest of the public as a whole is always put before the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. For example, simple example, two weeks ago, Every major bank increases its interest rate its interest rates on home mortgages because we're told they've got they've got to keep more money in reserve through legislation. Therefore, we bear the cost. Those of us with mortgages. Well, guess what? One week later, record profits. Bingo. It and, and they say, well, we have to look after the interests of our shareholders, and they're quite right. 
Private corporations are not there to look after the national interests. Private corporations are not there to worry about the environment. Private corporations are not there to worry about, you know, cultural niceties. Private corporations are there to make ever-increasing profits, not for their mum and dad investors who they don't give a shit about, but for their major shareholders. That's what they're there for. And if you have a state apparatus and a political apparatus and a parliamentary apparatus which always puts the interests of the corporate and the private sector before the interests of the public as a whole, you have what you have in Australia today. 25 million people living on a bloody continent, you know, rich, 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 you know, we are a rich nation in terms of resources, in terms of human capital. We are a rich nation and we have 2.5 million people living in poverty. Poverty. We're not talking about, you know, Living a hand, you know, just paying your debts, but actually not being able to pay your debts. 500,000 of them children. We have over 15 million Australians, 15 million, over 15 million, who working in part time work, insecure work, and they're in the gun. They're the ones that the government is all concerned about. They want to remove overtime payments. They want to remove penalty rates. They want to remove this. They want to remove that. Everything that's been won over generations of struggle, they want to remove it in order to increase company profits. And this is the section of the population which I call now, you know, the 21st century working class, who basically meet their everyday commitments They take on debt to meet their everyday commitments. And they expect us to sit there and say, well, you know, know, if you're part of the investment class, we don't, you know, you can make the money to get the best education money can buy, the best health care. Well, I don't care. You can have the best education, the best health care money can buy, but you pay for it. Why should the public as a whole, pay to keep a private education sector afloat? Why should the public pour $5 billion into a private health health insurance industry every year so that they can cherry pick healthy, well people and provide services, in inverted commas, to healthy, well, well people while pushing out the door those people with chronic disabilities and the elderly from their books because they cost them money who've been, you know, paying private health insurance for generations. Why should we put $5 billion into their pockets every year? Why shouldn't it go into the public hospital sector? And all those of you who say, well, if we remove public resources from the private sector, it means that more people will go to the public sector. But there'll be more money to deal with that because there won't be all this corporate and private welfare. So public interest before corporate interest has been created to put public interest before corporate interests. And I encourage you to look at their webpage. I encourage you to look at their Facebook page. I encourage you to join them. It's important 
that we take this on board. It's exceptionally important that we take up this issue because you can be as smart as you like, you can give wonderful analysis every week, you can look at this and you can look at that, you can talk till you go blue in the face, you can watch YouTube movies till you go blind, but nothing changes unless people take action. And I can assure you that once public interest before corporate interests reaches its membership and is registered as a political party, I can assure you there will be many actions across this country to ensure that public interests are always put before corporate interests because there is nobody today, nobody, who will take up the cudgel for the public interest. No public intellectuals. Universities have ensured that their so-called public intellectuals are muzzled. There is nobody out there who actually listens or protects the public sector. Public servants are muzzled. They can't talk. And the list goes on and on. So if you're interested, go to pibci.net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Or you can ring me on 0439 395 489. I'm happy to uh, send you out application forms. And if you uh, want to meet some nice people, I mean, there are a number of branches active in Hastings, in Frankston, Melbourne North. I mean, if you look at the Facebook page or if you give us a ring, if you write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052, we'll put you in contact. But I think the important thing is that, you know, even if you decide not to join PIPSI or public interest before corporate interest, what you need to do is you need to ensure that your political representatives, those in authority... Everybody understands that the purpose of a nation state is not to protect the interests, not to use the laws to protect the interests of those who already exercise power, but the function of a nation state is to ensure that the interests of all its citizens and the needs of all its citizens are met. It is not just a system of control. And the whole purpose of the revolutionary era during the 20th century was to force the stake to take on the responsibility of caring of its citizens. As anarchists, we want to see the abolition of the state and its replacement by a federation of community and workplace councils which are based on direct democratic principles, which put public interest before all other interests. So it's up to you. Up to you once again. I mean, we find ourselves in this ludicrous situation in the 21st century because we have believed we haven't fought we have believed we believe in the mantra that if the rich get richer it'll it'll trickle down to us we can put out our little pails and collect their urine to drink we've believed that if they get richer they'll you know they'll have gold-plated urine or gold-infused urine shouldn't say gold-plated that'd be hard to swallow that's the reality It is a reality we face every day. Every day we have seen our representatives, our political system, give up the fight to protest, protect public interests. Whether you're a reformer or a revolutionary, whether you're you're not interested in politics, public interest before corporate interest provides that umbrella, provides that umbrella which allows people of different 
religious persuasions or no religious persuasion, people of different sexual orientation, people from different, you know, uh, occupations, people who work or people who don't work, people on social security benefits, people of the working class. It, it provides a vehicle and an avenue by which to ensure that the interest of the community as a whole is put before the interests of section, sectional interests in this society. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joshua Scarner. I'm hosting today's program. You can uh, go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Interested in public interest before corporate interest? Look at their... Uh, Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to the uh, web app, go to the web address, pibsy.net. Have a look, download the application form, join tomorrow. Join today or never join. It's up to you. I mean, you can either be a spectator all your life or you become a participant. And that's the trouble. We as a nation are a nation of spectators. We love watching sport, but we don't play sport. We love hearing debate, but we don't take part in the debate. We love complaining. Oh, do we ever love complaining about our politicians? We love complaining about this country's institutions. We love complaining about our neighbours. But what do we do? Nothing. You know, as I said before, sever your ties. Sever your ties with the somebody should do something about that tribe. Sever your ties with I'm going to do, you know, the gunner tribe and become part of an active tribe that attempts successfully and unsuccessfully to ensure that the interests of the community as a whole, public interests, are put before corporate interests. And the tragedy is, and it is a tragedy, talking to a number of uh, Pipsy activists over the last few weeks, is that most people don't even have a concept of what public is anymore. No concept. When the Wednesday Action Group goes out in the Melbourne CBD since 1999 every week, sometimes twice a week, to raise issues on public footpaths, on public space, you know, when police and private security guards attempt to move them on, nobody seems to understand that this is public space. This is a little bit of public space where people are actually able to articulate ideas. And it's important that we reclaim that space every day. You know, life is more than complaining. You can complain till the cows come home. You can go to every committee, every court in the land. Nothing happens until you become organised and start applying direct pressure. Nothing ever happens. Do you think that people receive unemployment rates, sickness benefits... Penalty pay, decent wage, secure job, health care, dental care, the list goes on and on, because they begged and beseech. If we begged and beseech, we'd still have children going down in the mines because it would suit our masters because it would augment their profits. And that's the difference between 19th century and 20th century Australia and 21st century Australia. We are hostages of the virtual world. We think that if we click a button, watch shit often enough, that somehow it'll transform the world. Well, it won't. Listen to The Anarchist World this week. 
broadcast across Australia, the community radio network. Ah, Eureka, 3rd of December. Why do we celebrate Eureka? Well, we celebrate Eureka because the central elements of the Eureka Rebellion, which continue to reverberate across this country, are ideas which we wholeheartedly support, which form the essence of the radical and the anarchist movement in this country. The essence. And the essence of Eureka is incorporated in the Eureka Rafe. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. The essence of Eureka is internationalism. People from over 20 different nation states came together. People of different races came together. John Joseph, the first man who was tried for high treason for his involvement with, from, from, for the Eureka, from the Eureka Rebellion, was an Afro-American from New York. This is 1854. Edward Fonan, the owner of the Pikeman's Dog, the lemonade seller, was a Jew from Prussia. So people came together because of their oppression. Internationalism. And those people who use the Eureka flag as a symbol of Australian nationalism need to understand the Eureka flag is a symbol of internationalism. Direct action. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. People who were here in 1854 in Victoria on the Ballarat goldfields and all the goldfields across the country believed they were born with inalienable rights and liberties which no state could legislate away and no master could remove. And that's what they fought for through direct action by taking up arms to defend those rights and liberties. And if you think that their rebellion was a waste of time, think again, within 12 months of the Eureka Rebellion, within 12 months, the two leaders, Humphrey and Laylaw, were in the Victorian Parliament. Within 12 months, everything they'd fought for had been granted and more. Within a year, we had a radical parliamentary rump holding an alternative parliament in the eastern markets where the Southern Cross Hotel used to be when the Ministry of Justice, Victoria Ministry of Justice is in Exhibition Street, which held alternative parliaments for over a decade. Within 20 years, Victoria became the first state in the world to have three secular universal education. And the list goes on and on. Legacies of that Eureka Rebellion which used direct action. Then you have direct democracy. That's the tragedy, isn't it? Eureka was based on direct democratic principles. Mass meetings were called. Decisions were made. And these were days before the you know, public address systems. 20,000, 15,000 delegates were elected or appointed. Went up to the government in Melbourne. Discussed. Came back reported back, removed, we saw direct democracy in action. So we've got direct action, direct democracy, internationalism 
and solidarity. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other, truly by each other, solidarity. And those of you who kind of, you know, shake when you hear the Southern Cross, why the Southern Cross? It's not Christian ideography. It's because when these men and women came to the Southern Hemisphere and they camped on that land and they looked up into the sky, the sky was different. The Southern Cross symbolised the fact that they had come to this continent. So, if you are interested in celebrating, not commiserating, but celebrating the Eureka Rebellion, well, join us. Since 2002, the Anarchist Institute has been organising the Reclaim, the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, which are held in Ballarat from 4am to 10pm. 4am to 10pm. That's right. The stations of Eureka, for those of you who've got a bit of sense of humour. 4am to 10pm. 10 Thursday, the 3rd of December... You don't have to ring anybody. You don't have to pay any money. You don't have to, you know, say three Hail Marys and a Father. You don't have to read the Koran. You just turn up. Corner of Eureka and Stall Street in Ballarat, 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. On the very spot, at the very time, the Eureka stockade was overrun and over 50 miners were killed on that ground, that very ground, that very spot, that very time. And if you can't make it, the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Dawn Ceremony from 4am to 6am is broadcast live on Community Radio 3CR. And if you can't get Community Radio 3CR, just go to the net, 3cr.org.au, streaming live, 4am. Then there's a breakfast at Eureka Hall. You've got to walk at least ooh, 30 metres to get to the hall. We don't cater. You bring your own food and drinks. Bring some extra food and drinks for those who can't afford it. Then at 9am, we walk down the street, proud, proud to walk down the street, not on the footpath, down the street, down to Bakery Hill to re- re- reaffirm the Eureka Oath, which was taken in on the 29th of November 1854. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties where we will give out six Eureka Australia Day medals to Australians who are not recognised by anybody else, to Australians who have made a great contribution to improving the lives of their brothers and sisters in this country. And then from there, we walk down the main street, proud as usual, with our banners and flags down the main street, to the Ballarat City Hall where we have the Eureka Stump Orations where people are invited to Jump up, talk, no PA system, just like the old days. And once again, despite the Eureka Rebellion happening 161 years ago, the Eureka flag will not be flown on the main flagpole on Ballarat City Hall. That's the way it is there, very conservative city. And then from there we walk to the Eureka, to the old Ballarat Cemetery, and then we should be there about half past 12, uh, to pay our respects to the people buried in the mass grave, in the old Ballarat Cemetery, then a lunch just outside the cemetery, light lunch, and then we walk back to the Museum of Australian Democracy at Eureka um, in uh, Eureka Park. And why do we walk back to the Museum of Australian Democracy? Because after a little bit of discussion, it's a free day. And what are we interested in? Looking at the Eureka flag, the original Eureka flag. From there, we have a late lunch 
And then that evening, and unfortunately we've had to change the venue because it's undergoing renovations, that evening in the Grapes Hotel at 121 Grant Street, Ballarat, we'll be holding the annual Eureka Dinner, which is hosted by the Anarchist Media Institute. And the guest speaker will be the uh, the chairperson of the uh, Ballarat and a Western Region Trades Hall Council, Bredichin. He'll be uh, speaking about the role the Eureka Rebellion plays in the 21st Century Union Movement, an interesting project. Now, if you want a seat, there's only about 70 or 80 seats. If you want a seat, you need to book. If you're happy to stand up, that's fine. There's no charge, but you've got to pay for your own food and drinks. We pay for no one because we ain't got the money. So you pay for your own food and drinks. You come along, meet interesting people. Starts at about 7.30pm. The Black Orchids, the West Papua and String Band, will be a string orchestra, I should say, band, will be uh, will be also be uh, performing on the evening. So it'll be a great evening. As I said, new venue, the Grapes Hotel, 121 Grand Street, Ballarat. If you want further information, you want to make bookings, 0439 395 489. You can download the posters. There's four posters this year by going to anarchistmedia.org. And if you haven't got a phone and you ain't got a computer, and we understand that, you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. So if you want a seat, the Eureka Dinner, now's the time to make a Or you can actually make a booking through anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. So if you're listening to this anywhere in Australia, this is the time to tell your boss, I'm going. This is the time to tell your partner, I don't care what's on TV, I'm going to the Eureka celebrations. This is my public holiday. Tell the boss I'm happy to come and work on the Queen's birthday weekend, but I'm not working on Eureka Day. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Yes, thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Don't forget, while there's life, there's hope, and while there's hope, there's life. You like that? If you don't, bad luck. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World this week, but more importantly, get yourself organised, get yourself involved. If you don't like what you hear on this program, but you like somebody, what somebody else is saying, get involved. Burn your computer, burn your television set, Burn the books, burn it all, get out there, become active, change the course of history, change your life, change the life of the people around you. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week via the Community Radio Network. And don't forget, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That plot destruction Sorcerer of 
death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.